Hello, Minister. Hello. <laughs> wow, bang on, right in there, straight off. I'm really pleased to be hosting this webinar with Justine Placide. My name is Yvonne Thompson, CBE. Most of you online will know me through Wintrade Global Talks. I'm really honoured to be hosting today with Justin. So Justin, I'm not going to introduce you, over to you to introduce yourself and then to introduce the minister. Excellent, so thank you, Dr. Thompson. And good evening to everyone or good morning or good afternoon, depending on wherever around the world that you're currently logging on. For those who definitely will not know me because I'm definitely not as popular as Dr. Thompson, my name is Justin Placide. I am an assistant director, as mentioned by Yvonne, for the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, where I've got the honour to work with a number of great ministers. And yes, one of the ministers who's definitely appeared now, Minister Zahawe. One of the reasons why I say he's a great minister is because some of the work that I do falls under his portfolio, which is about supporting businesses. And some of the work that I think has been really impactful, and Yvonne really, sorry, Dr. Thompson really did cover this, is that not only is the country going through a difficult, a very difficult process and a period of time, but businesses, for some, this is part of their routine to help them live, to help them generate money for their families, are also as well going through traumatic times. And the government across the piece has stepped up in various different ways to help one, provide safety and security with our safety measures and social distancing measures, but also as well, support and finance. And that's the difficult part, and which is why we're so honored to have the minister here, is that we know that all of that support and finance isn't actually hitting all of the other businesses across the board in the UK, specifically our BAME businesses. Even worse, because it's Black History Month, of course, are black businesses. And so the minister has worked with people such as myself and other people in the department to encourage us to do more, to reach out to businesses, but also as well, he has also as well taken on the mantle himself to be the face of that push. So without any further ado, it's my honor and pleasure to hand over to Minister Nadine Zahawi. Thank you very much, Justin. You are a credit to the department. Genuinely, I say this. Yvonne, of course, always a pleasure seeing you and thank you for inviting me to this event this afternoon. I'm really pleased to be uh, having, in many ways, this quite a timely discussion during Black History Month. And I know this is something that is close to really all of us. I think there are three key areas uh, that I thought I want to, to focus on today during our conversation. I'll be very interested in hearing your success stories, whether the storm of COVID you know, have been able to get some of the loans or grant support through different schemes and how you've actually been able to maybe reshape your business or survive this period. Uh, of course, I want to also outline some of the business support that uh, we've got in place and have a conversation about that and how we can reach the harder to reach BAME businesses that I'm really interested in, as is Justin, as is Yvonne, to, to want to reach out to. But let me sort of just start with a little bit of more about my background. So I was born in Baghdad in uh, 1967 to parents of Kurdish origin, a decade or so before 
Saddam Hussein began his slow but inextricable rise to power. My parents realized very early on what kind of people had taken over the country, and that really left them with a very difficult uh, decision because unless you wanted to, to belong to the Ba'ath Party, it was very difficult to remain in that country because it became a criminal offence that you don't join the party or pledge allegiance to Saddam. My father was an entrepreneur at heart, so I've lived with the up and ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And because he saw the opportunity that this great country offered, uh, we set off to the United Kingdom, landing on these shores in 1978. It wasn't easy at first. I barely uh, could speak a word of English, genuinely. Did not know the culture. I'd been uh, wrenched away from my friends and neighbours, as has my sister. Uh, so we early days were pretty teary, uh, especially at bedtime. But I quickly realised that if you uh, could communicate well in this country, lots of people were willing to help you and push you forward. Uh, I picked up the language in about eight months, as you do as a kid, did pretty well at school, and then I was ready to go to university. And then uh, one day, my father, full of excitement, rang my mum and said he had heard of a new technology that was uh, going to uh, change the world and be a huge success, as entrepreneurs always do. A machine that used uh, supersonic air to dig up the roads, which made it safer because actually uh, they wouldn't cut through uh, electric pipes and so on. It's a clever idea, ahead of his time in many ways. I'm sure one day it'll become a big success. Anyway, he invested everything in this company, in this technology. So when that company failed, we lost almost everything, except a car, an Opal Senator. I'll never forget that car, brown Opal Senator, which is in my mum's name. So the bank couldn't take it away from us. They took everything else. They took the house, they took everything. And I almost didn't make it to university as I felt I had to do my bit to put food on the table for my family. And I was going to use my mum's car, our only possession, as a, a minicab driver. But my mum, bless her, refused. She just wouldn't have it and pushed me to say, you're going to go to university. We'll get through this. She had to pawn her you know, jewellery and everything else. And we were living on what was then housing benefit and income support. I went to University College London, where I studied chemical engineering. It taught me how to really deal with a lot of data, a lot of information, and then try and work through it and then focus on the solutions when faced with complex problems. So really a, a great skill under my belt in the early 90s because it helped me throughout my career. And I can literally cite each time. I founded my first company, which failed, by the way. But by now I was well aware of the importance of picking yourself up and trying again after my father's very, very personal failure. So that is what I did. I picked myself up and I founded a, another company, YouGov, which many of you today may have heard of uh, and which has gone on to become a, a UK unicorn company with a, a global presence. Certainly my initial failure helped really ensure YouGov's success when I look back. Uh, but I think failure can weigh more heavily and I have to say this, on people from underrepresented backgrounds, people of my color, your color, I think it does weigh much more heavily. We can feel as though we are not allowed to ride out failures or ask for help or start again, or people look at you as if you're 
somehow dodgy or, or there's something wrong with you. So I think it is really encouraging to see that black and brown business owners have been seeking and receiving that help. Since 2012, more than a, a fifth of our startup loans have gone to entrepreneurs from uh, black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. But today I'm really interested in hearing whether and how BAME businesses have accessed government uh, support, such as the, obviously the grants I spoke about earlier, uh, from which we process through local government, through your councils, and of course the loans uh, during the pandemic. Never has been more important for business to seek help as we continue to be challenged by this pandemic, by this virus. So I'd like to hear about those of you who have uh, taken advantage of new opportunities or any new startups during COVID-19. And I'm also interested in better understanding the impact of the pandemic, how you've adapted your business or changed your business model to try and uh, survive through COVID-19. But first, I wanted to quickly give you an, just an overview around the support package that is on offer. So on the 24th of September of last month, we announced a plan to protect jobs and support businesses over the coming months. We launched something called the Job Support Scheme. It's really a, an extension of the Self-Employment Income Support Scheme um, uh, till the 1st of November. And then it was an extension of the uh, Self-Employment Income Support Scheme grant as well uh, uh, to April. And then the extension of the period to pay back uh, deferred VAT bills for businesses. And then there was an extension of the repayment period for the bounce back loans under the pay as you grow uh, scheme. This is on top of the earlier uh, scheme that was announced, which is the local lockdown grant fund. Uh, that's a fund of £1,500 per business property to those businesses that are required to close as a result of some of the local restrictions I'm sure you've been aware of and reading and hearing about. The second self-employment income support scheme remains open as well uh, for applications until uh, the 19th of this month. Those claiming for the second grant will have to confirm that their business has been adversely impacted, affected by COVID on or after the 14th of July 2020. Additional support to help you run your business is also available through the peer network, which is a sort of a peer-to-peer -peer networking program for small and medium-sized businesses that is delivered locally through the network that we have of growth hubs across England, the Small Business Leadership Program, which supports senior leaders to, to really enhance their uh, business resilience and, of course, recovery from the impact of COVID is also available and some advice and support and financial help from government-backed schemes. There's a helpline, it's 0800 998 1098, 0800 998 1098. The recovery advice for business scheme supported by us in government and is hosted on the Enterprise Nation website. It offers small businesses access to free one-on-one -on -one advice with an expert advisor. I think at this point, I'll stop there and ask Yvonne to uh, take over, but support the, the spread and spread the word of, as an ambassador to promote some of the support around this. So uh, thank you, uh, both Justin and, and Yvonne.
very happy to tackle other issues like EU transition, if you'd like me to, or anything else that you want me to discuss as well. Very happy to take questions. And thank you again for having me. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Actually, the EU transition would be really, really useful because as our network is a global network and we have a lot of people that we work with in the EU. So, for instance, my daughter and my grandchildren are in Germany and I quite often go to visit them. How is all of that going to change? What kind of permits or visas and, you know, and if we want to work closely with people in the EU, because we have a lot of women in business in the EU, how is that going to affect what we do and how we do it? We've got quite a few questions. I am going to invite people into the room to ask the minister questions live. Now, minister, looking at the poll, have you accessed government loans, grants or support? Only 36% has said yes, 63% no. So we still have a little bit of a way, a bit of work to do. And that's just our people online at the moment. So minister, over to you. Uh, thank you, Yvonne. Just uh, a very brief word on EU transition. Just to remind everyone on here, we left the European Union on the 1st January of this year. What we've been negotiating is our future relationship. So we'll be leaving the customs union a single market and there will be a guaranteed change in that sense, irrespective of whether we get a deal or not on the 1st January of next year. So the way you import and export goods the process for hiring people from the EU, uh, the way you provide services into EU markets. And I would strongly advise you to uh, sign up for updates uh, that we'll send you at gov.uk forward slash transition. That's gov.uk forward slash transition. We want to support your business to make those preparations. That's our job. We also want to hear from you what, where the difficulties are so that we can try and address them. We'll be hosting free live events and recorded webinars to help you check the new rules and understand the actions to take. I'm, I'm really pressing the point home that you need to get as much information so you're ready either way, no matter what happens. On the 1st of January, we're leaving the, the single market and the customs union. Obviously, we're working towards a deal. We think we can, uh, with enough goodwill, land a deal that works for us and the European Union. We're asking for a deal that is no more than what Canada has been able to achieve with the EU. We deliberately didn't want to get into a sort of bespoke deal that's never been written down before, never been codified, because the moment you, you hand lawyers that sort of opportunity, uh, then it could, it could take an infinite long time to, to deliver. But either way, we want to keep you informed and for you to come back to us if you think there are issues with, with you trading with the EU. And just on Yvonne's other point around the, the, the quick snap survey, if 63% of you on, on here have not at least just gone to your bank and asked for a bounce back loan, please do so. It's yeah, absolutely uh, straightforward. It's a one pager self declaration of your business and money can be in your bank account within 24 hours. It's the best way to help businesses, in my view, small businesses uh, to weather the storm of COVID. Uh, there's additional help, obviously, if you are 
in the highest tier of the uh, interventions we're making where businesses can get up to £3,000 a month if we've asked you to close down in that highest tier. So there's a lot of help out there, but you need to access it. You need to just take time. It really is not that difficult. I can tell you from just talking to small businesses, I've encouraged to do it. They've sort of come back to me and said, wow, that is amazing. You know, in 24 hours, I got up to 50 grand, 50,000 pounds into my bank account. My business makes a huge difference to that business in terms of just getting through the COVID crisis. That's amazing. And we've got a few people on that have said they have used the bounce back loan. <clears throat> So we have Aisha Gardner. Hello. Right. Okay. So I'm going to be brief. I'd like to just firstly say thank you for creating this platform, Dr. Thompson. Okay. It's really appreciated. And I'd like to thank the Minister for yet again taking the time to engage with Black businesses for the second time in the last few months. It's been very beneficial to me as a business owner. So I just want to ask the question. So we know that Bain is bundled under a need and is a strategy business development level. The government recognises British Chamber of Commerce and has been established for 150 years. Under the British Chamber of Commerce, part of one of the governing bodies are our Asian Chamber of Commerce, which started in 1987. So... What we're looking at is the fact that to complete the circle, we realise that there's no specific governing body for a black chamber of commerce, which would be extremely helpful as a point of reference in all of these changes that we're having in our economy. So we've done some research and we're currently gathering as much data as possible in order to get people's views. Uh, we've spoken to since last year over 600 black and we're collecting that data now to be able to present it to you. Basically, the question is, would you be happy to engage with us on this matter? And what are your thoughts proceeding forward, considering that we still haven't recovered from COVID and we're about to also leave the EU and how our, obviously our businesses will be affected by that continuing into next year? <clears throat> Aisha, thank you for that. Uh, question and that proposal in many ways, which I think is what you're making. I think it will be a great idea. I talk to the British Chambers of Commerce regularly, so I'm very happy to explore the concept, the proposal for, a, uh, which is what I think you're, you're asking for, which is a Black Chambers of Commerce in the way the Asian Chamber of Commerce has, has been developed. I think it's a great idea. It's an important idea, and I think we should try and pull it together. So um, uh, let me explore that with, with the British Chamber of Commerce as well. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Aisha. You. Richard Perry. Thanks for taking the call. Good to um, pleasure to meet you all, Yvonne and uh, Minister. Yeah, it's really a thought. Really, I, as a business coach, I work with lots of companies from from all over the place. In fact, my interest I've worked globally for a large pharmaceutical company, but I also was involved in creating the UK India Business Council. I think that's probably the second or third employee. So I've got a very good view on global trade. What, what I, the point I wanted to make was it's great that lots of companies, and I'm basing my comments on my work with clients all over, all over the place. In fact, all of them are growing. They're all back to pre-COVID level. In fact, only one of them had to take furlough because they worked in the dental industry, but the rest of them have not done that. So they, they've actually done quite well. What and I always felt that furlough was inviting people to not do work when they could be looking for new markets, new opportunities, 
Okay, aside from those that simply cannot operate because they're in hospitality and there's no way they can operate. I felt there's a missed opportunity. My, my own MP is, is Bim, Bim Afalami, and he's great with his programs. So what I decided to do was, was for my own business, I've gone very much online. And I've, I've engaged with some great technology, which means I can help more people. That, that's, that's my own personal view. But what I did was I teamed up with Cranfield Business School, and I also teamed up with there's 38 LEPs. And we, where I'm in Hertfordshire, the chairman of our LEP is also involved with the 38 LEPs. And we said, look, let's come up with something that is going to help the companies, but not just give them the money to sort of do nothing, to, to be blunt about it. Let's give them some money and actually let's give them some practical help. And we've built something which is based on Cranfield's work and the work that I do in my organization to actually actively intervene because we know it works, and it's worked for companies like Hotel Chocolat, Go8. I think the Go8 founder is now a conservative MP, I think it's Jerome, is it? We decided, look, rather than just giving money, let, let's add the missing piece, I think, in the economy is active support through coaching or mentoring, regardless of where you come from or where you're going. We call it Reignite, and we've, we're trying to sort of get support. We'd love support from BEIS, from yourselves. We, we sort of put it into the system and various people in government are aware of it, we're thinking, what do we need to do to get that help? Because we, we know it works and it would be a good investment of, of everybody's time and money. Uh, thanks, Richard. That's really inspiring. I think you've got a great member of parliament, Bim Afalami, and really does get this stuff. And, of course, with your uh, uh, Hertfordshire Lep and the leader there is, is fantastic. You know, I've, I've seen some of the work around life sciences, which is phenomenal. Uh, I think... What you've done is, is really inspirational. It's great to hear that your clients have pretty much recovered to some mm. COVID levels. I think the furlough scheme was, was the right thing to do when we were asking people to stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives, you know, a sort yes. of national lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, we had to then tweak it to extend it further because obviously the lockdown carried on for longer than we uh, initially had envisaged and then had to make it rightly so by listening to business more flexible and I think now we're into the phase of getting people back to work and working, of course, from home if they can, but if they can't, they can go back to work. The job support scheme, so the combination of the job support scheme and the, the bonus scheme, if you keep people on till the end of January, 1st of February of next year, mm -hmm. effectively give a business and, and the employee about 60% two-thirds of their, their, of their wages. And I think it's a good way because a lot of employers have said to us, actually, we need that additional help, that flexibility. What you don't want to do is lose the skills in the economy because they, you'll never recover those. The plan for jobs is a sort of £33 billion intervention in the economy to help people either remain in work with their employer, sharing the burden with us as well, uh, the government, or reskill or upskill as well and take some of the new opportunities, whether it's the green industrial revolution or the other sectors that we think are going to come. Mm -hmm. We're very happy to look at anything that you're doing, whether you're directly or through the LEPs, to see whether we can share best practice. You know, I have a similar scheme which we piloted in, in the Northwest called Made Smarter. It was very much focused on manufacturers, people who make things where yeah. rather than buying off-the-shelf technology and then being disappointed, we got experts to help them think about the manufacturing process and actually inject some technology 
to improve yeah. the productivity. That has been a phenomenal success. And I announced that London Tech Week, it hardly got a mention, obviously, because mm. we're only, only interested in uh, COVID stories, that yeah. we are expanding that. We're investing 300 million, 147 million from government, the rest from business, to take it even further. It's those sort of interventions, that I think, yeah. will make us come out of this in a much more dynamic and sustainable way. Thank you very much for joining. All right, see you soon. Thank you. Next up is Michael Parker. Hi, thank you for that. A couple of questions. One is about Brexit and one is about the apprenticeship levy, because it seems to be forgotten and not utilised. Let me start with the apprenticeship levy. Wouldn't it be easier, rather than going through a programme or being recognised as a trainer, that we can collaborate with recognised colleges and universities who don't have to apply and develop courses more quickly for the labour shortages that has already exist and will exist in the future. And coming back now to the EU and our leaving date, we used to be in a programme of importing with quotas or restricted tariffs for rice. Now, we are in the Commonwealth I'm talking about Guyana here. There was a, used to be a lot of rice coming in, but it was it was a fixed quota that seemed to be out on a lottery, as opposed to saying, if you process the rice from paddy inside the country, you get one tariff. If you do cargo rice, you get a higher tariff. And if you just bring in the rice, you get a higher tariff to encourage people to create jobs inside the country. And it can also be used as biofuels to try and generate sustainable investment. So can we get, because it's a bit late, because these are big investments, um, and we'd like some support around that, as well as greater access to funding, because the BME community does not have great access to funding. Thanks, Michael. One of the things I want to do is to try and make sure the BME community does actually you know, half the battle is knowing that the funds are there for you. People have busy lives. They've got to pay mortgages, look after children or grandchildren. There's a million things. You know, you wake up in the morning and there's a load of bills to pay, all sorts of stuff, right? I've been there where I've been both the, you know, the receptionist and the director trying to sort of pretend to close deals and pick up the phone as well with a different voice as, as the receptionist at YouGov. You know what I mean? So I think it's important that we continue to signpost BAME businesses to the support and the funding available. And there's a lot of it available for BAME businesses. On your question about apprenticeships, David Cameron made me his apprenticeship czar. We like czars in government. We, we create czars for everything. Anyway, when I got to the Department of Education, my then minister was Nick Bowles. He said, Nadim, I know nothing about operations. I'm very good at policy. But, you know, actually getting stuff implemented is something you're good at because you've built this incredible business and so on. Anyway, we got the technology up and running and I'm proud of it. And it was all done by a brilliant team, actually, funny enough, in Coventry. The levy, I think, is the right way to go forward in the sense that the largest companies actually effectively pay and invest in the system. It could always be better. And a lot of sectors are lobbying us to try and, and make it more responsive as a system. Uh, but I think you're also right to say that we need the college infrastructure, if I can describe it like that, to flex, to deliver the skill sets for the future of the economy. 
So I see my role at Bayes and my, my brilliant officials, including uh, Justin on here, is to be able to challenge the Department of Education and the apprenticeship infrastructure that we've got by saying, look, we think the shape of the economy in the next five years, 10 years is going to look like this because we can see it. We account in base for about 60% of the economy, right? Everything from sort of foundation manufacturing like steel to auto, to aero, to life sciences, to nuclear defense and so on. And the professional business services as well. Big, big part of the economy, 80% of the economy. So my role is to say, here's the shape of the economy. Now, now flex the system in DFE to make it work, to produce those skill sets. Now, one of the biggest things I was really excited about, and again, it very quickly disappeared from our headlines. The Prime Minister made an announcement, which when I was at, at DFE, I would say to you, it's probably the biggest thing we could do in the levelling up agenda and giving people real opportunity. And that is the ability to be skilled and reskilled for life. So that you can always go back to college get a whole load of new skills and the government will back you and pay for it. That's a massive, massive intervention in the economy that when I was at, at DFE, I always thought, why don't we do this? Why, why is it that people can't go back and the government pay for it so they can actually get a new set of skills to help them find that new career? We, we're now doing that, which I think is, is, is a really important thing. And in the short term, we're also saying to companies, look, we know it's tough. We know you've had to deal with COVID, but we will further give you more money, a couple of thousand pounds per apprentice, if you take on more apprenticeships at, at this time. And then, of course, the, the Chancellor rightly so identified that actually the very young, the sort of 16 to 24-year-olds, are going to be the most impacted because they're the most disadvantaged when you're going through a pandemic of getting them into job and into work. And so we created a Kickstarter scheme where if a company would take them on for six months on a job training scheme, we will completely fund it. We'll fully fund it. The Welsh government is doing something similar, but they're owning 50%. We're doing 100%. And I, actually, uptake has been really, really great. Some very large businesses have come forward and said, Look, I'll take a 1,000. Another one said, I'll take a couple of thousand. So it's making a huge difference. Very briefly, on Brexit, I think now that we've left the EU, we have the potential to actually not just help the Commonwealth, develop those, those businesses, develop those nascent industries or farming, because we were all the time, I, I never forget, I was on the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, and we had a trip to Tunisia, and there were Tunisian farmers who were desperate to sell us their brilliant olive oil, but we can't buy it because of the EU having the, the sort of the protectionist mindset that that stopped us from from helping the economy of Tunisia recover after the Arab Spring and wanting to get back on its feet, obviously, as a democracy. So I think it's a huge opportunity. But no one's talking about it at the moment because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've got Brexit negotiations taking place. I think we can make a huge difference once we unshackle ourselves from that, that sort of protectionist attitude and we can help the, the developing world, but with our economic power. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. So who have we got up next? Ingrid Collins. Right, I shall be very brief. Uh, first of all, I'm full of admiration for the job you're doing during the pandemic and Brexit. I think there are very few people who would want to be in your shoes. The question I have, I'm in the healthcare industry. I'm consultant psychologist and healer and working out of Parley Street. 
um, but not since the pandemic. I'm working online since the pandemic. The SAGE committee says the only way forward, in their opinion, is a short, sharp circuit breaker. The Prime Minister, in his infinite wisdom, seems to have ignored the um, the medical advice. We're dealing with a pandemic. Could you tell me what was the rationale? Because there's going to be a lot of deaths more on the hands of the administration, and I'm passionately worried about this. We've lost enough. Thank you, Ingrid. The, the SAGE advice looked at several options of how we deal with the spike in infections. Actually, the advice also said that a circuit break could be one option of a number of things you can do to deal with this. The WHO have actually commended our local action plan. We've gone just on Monday into this new three-tier system. Chris Whitty, who is the chief medical officer, stood next to the prime minister on Monday and explained why we're going into the three-tier system. To be absolutely accurate and fair, he said, you know, even with the highest tier where the Liverpool city region is now in, for example, uh, because they're touching 800 infections per 100,000 people, we may need to go even further and we will keep that under review. I think it's right that we let the three-tier system work. You're already seeing Northern Ireland actually go further. And I think this isn't about us wanting to do less than other nations. If you look at our app and our test and tracing system, 17 million people have downloaded the app. It's been a huge success. The WHO have commended us on it. In France, they've had to abandon their app because only a million people downloaded the app in France and they've now abandoned it. Ingrid, these are these are really tough choices because the choice is, is between two harms, the harm of the virus and the harm of a economic lockdown and a mental health and a physical health harm as well on the other side. So the choices are always difficult. My very strong view is we shouldn't discount anything, but I absolutely think we should at least let the three-tier system do its work. It's a fast-moving situation. Thank you very much, Ingrid. Thank you. Great, great, great. Off you go, Mercy. Hello. My question is in regards to grants for businesses in the creative industries. What sort of grants are available for the creative industries? Thank you, Mercy. So the grant system that we, we put through local government was any business could get a grant of £10,000 to help with the pandemic. And then additional to that, and I've got a lot of creative industries in Stratford and Avon, as you can imagine, with the Royal Shakespeare Theatre and the Birthplace Trust as well. Uh, the Chancellor has allocated 1.57 billion in additional help, specifically for the creative industries. Okay, thank you. Wonderful. Thanks, Mercy. Thank you. Bye. Bipin. Hi, Yvonne. Nice to see you, Minister. Uh, real pleasure. My question is: It's really good to see the diversity in the cabinet. So I would like you to touch on what kind of benefits that has brought and the challenges. And another part to that is we've got a responsibility in building on that. And what message would you give to others in terms of joining the politics, which in many ways hasn't served us well in, in the past? I would be more pointed in saying, how can we encourage more black women into the cabinet? Bipin, I'm really grateful for, for a great question. I've always been a great believer in diversity, not just good government 
it makes for actually really good decision-making. Even before government in business, I sat on the board of a FTSE 350 company with a turnover of a billion pounds. I can tell you, because that company had a, a, a fantastic diversity program, when I joined it, I was still at YouGov, uh, so I hadn't entered politics then, and we transitioned from one chief executive and his successor was, I think, one of the first black chief executive, Gary Eldon, of a, a FTSE 350 company, uh, S3. And the board was incredibly diverse, not just gender and ethnicity, but background of people, hugely important. And I see it now even with my colleagues in cabinet, whether it's Priti Patel or Javid or Sunak or my own Secretary of State here, Alok Sharma, incredible, incredible people from very diverse backgrounds. We have actually creates much better decision-making, in my view. Where are the challenges? One, you're absolutely right, we need to encourage more people to join in. I worry that sometimes people look at the, sort of the, the political discourse, you look at the, the stuff they see on social media, and they think, I don't really want that because it's so nasty. You know, there is no need to dehumanise one another just because we hold different political views. You know, just because we don't agree on how we want to run things, you know, we're all trying to do the right thing. I respect the view of a Labour MP, an FNP MP, Liberal Democrat MP. I don't agree with them, but they are absolutely trying their best to do the right thing as they see it. So I think it's important that some of this unpleasant side of politics we deal with, because actually I think that puts off both men and women, but I would say probably you know, women find it much tougher with, with the nasty streak, if I can describe it, that's promoted on some social media platforms. So I think we can do better on that. The other area we can do better as well, is I think the civil service, I want the civil service to also, the leadership, to look more like the rest of the country. At the moment, they will admit it, they're far too male and pale, if you'd be told, in the civil service at the highest levels, in the perm secretary level. And, and actually, a number of perm secretaries do want to make a difference, do want to change that. I'm very proud when I was in the Department of Education, when I got there, they showed me this program. We had a program where we get children who've been looked after by the state into paid internships to become civil servants. So I said, right, bring them around to my office. I want, I want to meet some of them. They said, yeah, we can bring all of them. And I said, well, how many have we got? They said, we've, got, we've only got 29. Fair enough. We got all of them together. I said, what does it feel like being part of the civil service? And these are kids, you know, through no fault of their own, other than the accident of birth, We've had to take them away from their biological birth parents. Anyway, their stories were magnificent because they all are stories of real resilience, but we had to do better for them. One of the things that, that they told me is they weren't part of the HR function of the civil service, that would look after others, you know, all the rest of the civil service. They were seen as sort of special, but to one side, which made life even more difficult. The other thing is you know, we're very fond of acronyms in government, and because they, they were looked after children, they call them LAC. And they said, well, there's nothing lacking about us, but they keep calling us lack everywhere we go. Yeah, make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm very proud because they texted me a couple of weeks ago. We're now up to 500 who are now working in the civil service. 99.9% .9 of them end up staying permanently in the civil service. And I'm, I'm certain that one day a perm secretary will be someone who was a little child uh, because they're brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. I had one last thing. What, through that scheme, I had a lady interview for, for my private office diary manager. She'd never get the job. She wasn't under 
our ability to reach out and, and attract these candidates because she was clearly shy and, and an introvert rather than someone who can really tell themselves in, in an interview. We hired her. She was brilliant, beyond brilliant. And now she's just moved on from just being a diary secretary minister to full fast track in, in, in the civil service. So really proud of that. And I think we need to do more of that because that's the only way you, you, you sort of heal the, the social fabric of society and do so much better across the board uh, and give people real hope. Minister, we've got another two questions and then I promise you we'll let you go. Corinne, hello. Thank you. What I was going to say is it's the arts. Um, there's great leadership in the arts. We have to start up every single day and we all do things differently. And there's so much research and development that goes on in the arts to be innovative. And I think sometimes with women and with dance, particularly interrelated with other arts, it can be undermined because it's very labour intensive. OK, and it doesn't always make the money that other businesses do. So putting that aside, yes, Union Dance has had support from the Arts Council, which is fantastic, and has had an hour intermediary for the Kickstart scheme, which is great. So there is leadership here that we want to continue. I think what's important at the moment is that we'd like to shortcut, I think, in the arts so that we have a situation where as we're trying to develop arts platforms to connect with other arts, to connect with technology, that somehow that can be brokered. And that's all I'm interested in, really, so that we can develop new ideas, new ways of thinking and produce because we're innovative and we're visionary. So let's do that. That's all. And I'm not saying there are many things, obviously, as a senior lecturer in design and entrepreneurial design, I'm respected for, but I'm not respected in the same way as an art producer. I know that. I've seen the difference in the way that people think. So all I'm saying now is, can we find ways to shortcut technology with the arts to make it a little bit more easy to connect? There we go. That's my question. I love your question. And I'm a big, passionate advocate of turning STEM, because we all talk about STEM mm. at school, right? And you know, I'm an engineer. I, I love science, and I'm passionate about STEM. But STEM needs to become STEAM. Absolutely. Because the A needs to be added to it, and that's the arts. STEM with A, with art, makes the innovation makes the, the extraordinary world that we are now living through. You look at whether it's this platform that we're on, which by the way, I really think is functioning beautifully, Yvonne, and well done you. It's that combination. And it's something that we're great at, by the way. Genuinely, this nation uh, and its diversity is really, really good at. And so I absolutely support everything you say. And I will take your message to Oliver Dowden at DCMS and see how we can make this happen more. Thank you very much, Minister. It's been another good session. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Genuinely, I say this, you are doing an incredible job, Dr. Thompson. Thank you for all you do. Uh, Justin, thank you for all you do for me, the department at base, and of course, the outreach program that we want to continue. It is so important that everybody's on this call. Please spread the word. If a friend of yours says, oh, I need some information, please point them our way through Yvonne, through Justin, through myself, because we want to reach them. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you, Minister.
Thank you very much, Dr. Thompson. And for all of the audience and the listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as us. I think for me personally, Dr. Thompson, you've managed to help the minister answer some really tricky questions. And I'm assuming that the people who follow Wind Trade, they need to know those difficult answers. So I think that's been amazing. And as we're saying, the fact that you managed to get the minister not once, but twice <laughs> as well, and what you're trying to do for it for the people and for your members. So it was a pleasure for me just to hear you and to see you in action also as well, just to be there, just to keep an eye on the questions. So thank you very much for your time. And thank you so much, Justin, for being here and supporting it. I think it's made a difference. It's good to see the face of some of our people within the departments. So we know that we're there. It's great for you to be visible as well. Thank you so much, Justin. And with that, you're free to go. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Bye-bye.